This is the message of James. Faith works. Good morning. Man, our God's an awesome God, isn't he? There may be some days that aren't awesome, but he is awesome. He hasn't changed. We've been singing about faith today, faith in our great God who's alive and well, and we're coming to this book of James that we started last week that uh, faith works. And my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that you would be encouraged in your faith and challenged and, and really, let's just grab hold and believe God today. You know, these aren't just songs I believe we're singing, they're truth. Do you believe that today? It's not just a book we're going to open up and read, but it's God's word. This is truth. And it's going to transform our lives. And, and James, he just gives us, this half-brother of Jesus, a ringing call to action. He's all about action. That's what he's talking about right here. He says, works won't save us, but these good works are going to follow our true, genuine faith. And he says, you know what? Uh, Works and faith, they're going to line up with with each other. And he says, I'm calling you to vital Christianity. Not mere words, but he says, I'm calling you to a Christ-like lifestyle. And last week, I said, if James was, you know, if this was a, a, a business meeting or he was you know, a, a, a sports coach or manager, he had motivated us with words like, don't tell me about your accomplishments. Show me. Show me. Say it with me. Show me. The more you walk the walk, the less you have to talk. And so we see James is an activist, and he labels self-deceive those who say they are committed to something but never do it. And so... I, I think of James's words, and then I think of some of the words of Jesus, and, and I, I just got to be like up front with you. Uh, I want you to get into the book of James, but you may need to go back and read Matthew 24, because I honestly believe that God is on the move, and he's up to something, and we are in the early stages of Matthew 24 on the timeline of the world. I have no doubt about it in my spirit that we are at the beginning of labor pains or the time of sorrows. We're moving from one time in God's timetable to another time. And everything we're singing about is real if you're a born-again man or woman of God. And so I want you to see as we're on that timeline that some things are going to happen that we're going to see in the next, I believe, year and few years. We're going to see, as it says there, the words of Jesus, the love of many or some will grow cold. You're either going to be a church person or you're going to be a man and woman of God. How many know there's a difference today? Church people may fall away, but then there's going to be some that are going to be passionate. There's going to be a church that is passionately in love with Jesus Christ And they're so passionate in love for Christ that we are going to be used in the end-time revival, the greatest harvest of souls that the world has ever, ever seen. I believe that with all of my heart. And so today we're talking about making choices. That's what we're talking about. It's our call to action. This is our time. This is our opportunity. 
that we can show Christ to a troubled, confused, angry, violent, broken, sinful, hurting culture. This is our time now. Tell your neighbor, it's our time now. It's our turn. Come on. Tell your neighbor, it's our turn. You're going to have to help me this morning. It's our turn. It's our opportunity. People are desperately in need of help and hope, and this is why we are here at this hour and this time. So I'm going to tell you we're not closing the doors. We're not turning the lights off. Let's be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, we're not going to close the doors. We're not going to turn the lights off. Not just talking about Sunday. I'm talking about 24-7. We're going to be the church of Jesus Christ. So the big idea this morning is, as we get into James, the quality of your life will be determined by the kind of decisions you make. So stand with me if you would. I'm so glad you're here today. It's great to be together. If you're online, thank you for joining us. Get out your Bible. Turn to the first book, I should say, the first chapter of James. We're going to get into a couple verses there, pull out some thoughts, the meanings there. But before we do that, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit to come to our hearts and lives and open up God's Word to us this morning. And so we say this with anticipation and faith and believing today. And so let's say it together, if you would. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. You sound great. You may be seated. So use the handout, write some things down if you would, follow along on the app. And so we're going to look at what does James have to say about how to make up your mind. Life is full of decisions, basically a series of choices we make every day. And so we have to evaluate and decide and draw our conclusions. And how many, sometimes you're just tired of making choices, making decisions, like enough is enough, but that's what life is full of. Frank Borum said this, we make our decisions, and our decisions make us. There was a young business person one day, and asked, went to an uh, executive one day, and asked the executive for his wisdom. What is the secret of success? And the reply was, wise decisions. How can I learn to make wise decisions? And the reply was, experience. And then the next question, how do I get experience? And the reply was, bad decisions. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, we've waited too long. We've paid too much. We say the wrong thing. Yeah, bad decisions. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, can re I, I could list a number of wrong decisions I've made in life as I look back, and they've been growing points and learning experiences, but one that, that I should, I knew better. How many's ever done that one? I knew better, and I shouldn't have done that one. And, and I bought, it was a, we were a young married couple, and 
we were at the point we needed a second car, and I was buying a used car, our second car, and, you know, finances were tight, and that was a big step. And I knew how to buy cars. My dad was a very excellent teacher about buying cars. He bought a lot of cars in his lifetime, let me tell you. And so I knew what to look for and what to ask and everything. And, and, but we had a limited budget. You shouldn't ever let you, that force you to do some things. And so anyway, I went to look at this used car, and I just felt there were some issues with it, and this probably wasn't the right choice. But we went ahead and bought this used car for our second car because we needed a second car. And sure enough, it wasn't too many months down the road. There were problems with that car. And that car didn't even last us a year. And I'm telling myself, bad decision. I should have known better. I knew better. And then we had to get rid of that car. It was more to repair than it was worth. And for our second car, I still re. But what I got for the second car, because this is the car I was going to drive. Teresa got the nicer car, a Festiva, a little Ford Festiva, a bright blue. You take your life in your own hands. When you get in a car that small, and it was the basic car. And, and I remember saying as I looked at the car, where do you buy the tires at Toys R Us? Where do you buy these tires? And, and so, you know, and where we lived at that time, you know, the road was a hilly road, and Jordan was, was, a, was a, he was a tiny guy in his car seat, and sometimes that little car didn't weigh hardly anything. I was going too fast on the rolly road, and I can remember one day thinking, eh, that's probably too fast, as all four tires were off the ground, and I hear Jordan in the back seat going, wee, wee. So that was a bad decision on the one car. You know, you look back, and I can think of some other ones that were probably a little more serious. We've been there. We've waited too long, paid too much. James talks about how to make decisions. And so he gives us the problem, he gives us the answer, and then he gives us God's promise. So that's what we're going to look at right here, how to make decisions. Number one, we're going to look right here at verse 8. The problem is indecision. The problem is indecision. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, in the Greek, you look at that word double-minded, literally means two-soul. Two-soul, pulled apart in different directions. Divided loyalties, divided priorities. When you're trying to do two things at the same time, double-mindedness can be devastating, debilitating. It makes us unstable, or we could use the word right here, confused, as in confused in all his ways. Now, the Greek word used to describe this is, it depicts one who is drunk and is staggering and reeling. A double-minded man is unstable, confused in all of his ways, like he's staggering and reeling and confused. I know none of you know what I'm talking about when I give that description. I just, you know, but just imagine with me. James is saying, if you can't make up your mind, it's going to produce an unstable lifestyle. So let's look at three ways indecision makes us unstable. Unstable emotions. And you just can't seem to make up your mind. Maybe you have trouble just making up your mind sometimes. You can lose sleep. You can toss. 
You can turn. What do I do? What should I do? Did I make the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? Did I do the right thing? You know, unstable emotions. It's like the guy that went to a counselor, and the counselor asked, are you indecisive? And the guy says, well, yes and no. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I used to be, but now I'm not sure. Unstable relationships. That means a lack of commitment. It's destroyed marriages. This has destroyed families, careers, churches. Are you in? Are you out? Are you here? Are you going to do what you said you would do? Then this unstable spiritual life, verse 7. But you look at that. What he's talking about is what verse 8 says, vacillating between belief and unbelief. We've all been there sometime. Come on, if we be honest, wouldn't we have been there? We've been there. One day we think, God is on my side. He's fighting for me. I can do all things through Christ. God's helping me. And then it seems like the next day, where in the world are you, God? This is never going to turn around. I don't think God's hearing my prayer. I don't think I'm going to get there. How many's been there before? Yesterday, you're a mighty woman, man of faith. And today, he's like, what's going on? And this is what he's talking about, vacillating between belief and unbelief. Verse 7 says, for such a person, uh, not to think or expect he'll receive anything at all from the Lord. What James says, this will block our prayers. This keeps God from giving you and receiving what God has to offer. See, God has his part. And he always does his part. Isn't that good news? He always does his part. And we have our part. And sometimes we've kind of said, well, why doesn't God answer my prayers? And this is a reason. It's one of the reasons James is talking about it. That's why I'm talking about it. And if you've heard me speak for, you know, enough time, you've heard me talk about a lot of reasons why it may not seem right now God is answering your prayer, but this is one, and this is what James is saying, and this is what I need to address this morning. This does happen, and here's the reason, and one of the reasons is the first one you need to look at, am I, am I double-minded? Am I double-minded? Am I double-minded? In John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, written, you know, hundreds of years ago, talks about a man named Mr. Facing both ways. Mr. Facing both ways. When you want to do your will and you want to do God's will at the same time. When you're trying to live for two people, it doesn't work. You know what God says. You know what his word says. But yet you kind of want to do what you want to do and try it your way. Now, we're all really good people here today. But how many's ever really... I know you say this, God, and I know that's what the counsel I'm receiving from godly people are saying, and I've read it in your word, but yet I think I should do it this way. How many, come on. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, just how'd that work out? If you're there this morning, how's that working for you? God says this, but I'm going to do this. Double-mindedness. It produces a double life. 
It causes instability in all your ways, an unstable lifestyle. So what's the solution? Now, in this season, as the church, more than ever, we need to be looking to the Lord. What is he telling us? What is the direction that he wants us to go? I'm going to tell you right now. It's for me. It's getting to the point of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. You must obey God rather than man. I want you to hear that today. We must obey God rather than man. We need a word like God gave to the prophet Isaiah. This is the way. Walk in it. I want to say this to you. I'm not radical. I'm not going to go out there and be violent. But I'm going to obey God and not man. I'm going to obey God and not man. When it gets down to, they're going to tell us, I'm going to be real bold here. I'm not closing those doors again. I'm not turning the lights out again. It's not going to happen. When we, when we, I'm glad you, a lot of you agree with that. I don't take my cues from an ungodly governor. I'm not. And they're not going to ever, ever, they may tell us, but we're not going to obey. We're going to meet in our homes, and we're going to have Bible studies and open up the Word of God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. This is what we're talking about. Don't fall hook, line, and sinker. We have to obey those that rule over us until it contradicts the Word of God. And enough is enough. I'm going to obey God and not man. That's what we need to do as the church. So here's some needed confidence builders. If we want to hear from the Lord and receive answers from the Lord, it's need to know information, and I believe it's going to take away some double-mindedness and indecision and instability. Number one, know Jesus. That sounds simple, doesn't it? But know Jesus. Not just here, but here. 18 inches right down to here. I'm talking about you may have called on Jesus as your Savior, but you need to know him experientially. It's time to know your Jesus. Love your Jesus. Know his love. Know him as your Lord and Savior. Not about him, but know him. Paul said this in Philippians 3.10. It's the amplified version. I want to know Christ. He's been following Christ a number of years, and here he says, yet I want to know Christ because he's inexhaustible, amen? He is deep. I want to know Christ so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in the same way experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, so that I maintain the resurrection. Amen. And then here's secondly, not only know your Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but know your position in Christ. Know your identity. Know who you are. 
Amen. Know who you are. There's so much I could say right here, teach right here. But your sense of self-worth is in your identity in Christ, your Savior. Know who you are. Know your position as a born-again man of God. Know your position as a born-again woman of God. I want to say this. If you are born again, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a sinner saved by grace. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you once were self-centered, selfish, a liar, a cheat, undisciplined, a lover of self, a drunkard, a fornicator, an adulterer, a idolater, a homosexual. But he makes it plain in verse 6. And he puts it in the past tense. Say thank you, Jesus, somebody. He says, but you have been, you were past tense. You now are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Say, I'm not anymore. I was. That's history. Say it with me. That's history. That's in the past. Tell, say it with me. That's in my past. That's not my present. Come on, say it. That's not my present. That's not my future. I am. That's what he's talking about right here. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, everything, every single thing has become new in your life. It is in the process of becoming new each and every day. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We were, not anymore. You see, this truth will give you confidence. This truth is going to take away that, that instability and stableness. And I want to say this to some of you today. Stop identifying with the old you. If you keep identifying with the old you, you'll keep behaving like the old you and living like the old you. Start identifying with the new you. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I'm living a new life. I'm living a new way. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I like Paul. His favorite expression for what it means to be a Christian. Over and over again. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Oh, say it with me, in Christ. That's powerful. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are totally, we totally identify with Christ. What he has done and what he is doing in our life by his grace. So, who are you? Who are you? And then, then Peter expands on that. And this is all what James is talking about. Peter expands on that. So, once again, there's so many scriptures, but I could only choose a few. But here's a, a vital one right here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Come on. You're his. He selected you. He chose you. You're special. 
you think you're special. Yes, you are special. What makes you so special? He makes you special. Hallelujah. He's worthy. Now he counts you worthy. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're special. Come on. Tell yourself, I'm special. Okay, don't get carried away with that. <laughs> Why? Now he says we're going to do something with this Jesus in us that you may proclaim in this culture, in this day, in this hour, in this great need that we're facing, facing right now in this nation, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This is only part of it right here. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to proclaim him, not just in here, but out there. You need to know that you need to know. So here's the solution, bottom line, to instability. And James says it's wisdom. Wisdom. I should put my glasses on when I say that. Wisdom. Kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? Well, come on. How many could use some wisdom today? Yeah. The more longer I live, the more I realize I need some wisdom. I really do. So, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, and I'm going back to the Amplify because it kind of breaks it down, to guide him through a decision or a circumstance, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, without blame or acquisition. See, we want to feel unworthy. And God is not dealing with us on our merit, but his merit. And who he is and what he has done and is doing in our life. Don't fall in, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Well, of course we are, but he is. And that's how, well, I'm going to get to that verse in a moment. And it will be given to him. So how do we get wisdom? Number one Admit your need. Admit your need. Yes, I need wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you don't have all the answers, and if any of you don't have it all together, if any of you need wisdom, ask. James is the book of wisdom for the New Testament, like Proverbs is for the Old Testament. And so the thing is, we all lack wisdom. And wisdom is different than knowledge. I'm going to tell you that. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Wisdom is making decisions the way God would make decisions. Wisdom is spiritual understanding of really the times and the seasons and what is going on in your life and understanding the trial or the problem that you're facing right now that you're going through. The word for wisdom in the Greek is Sophia, Phila. Sophia, where we get our word philosophy, philosophy, the love of wisdom. But really, wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. We could use a great dose of that today, couldn't we? The practical application of knowledge. The world's impressed with knowledge. God's impressed with wisdom. And once again, wisdom is the ability to make decisions the way God would make decisions decisions. And when we put it that way, boy, I could use that today. How many say that with me? I want the wisdom of the Lord. Come on. How many would like the wisdom of the Lord? He wants to give that to you right now today. He wants to give you his wisdom. He really does. He does. So 
God says, you need my wisdom. Only I can give it to you, and you can't find it anywhere else. He says, don't let pride block you from receiving the wisdom I want to give you. Proverbs 11.2, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride is going to block that. Well, I've got it figured out. I'm good. It's okay. No, we need your wisdom, Lord. God says to us, I have what you need, but if you want to receive my wisdom, we have to do something else, and that is ask. We have not because we ask not. Ask for wisdom. Let him ask of God. Pray to God. Talk to God. Proverbs 2, 6. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding. And you remember, I'm sure, we go back to the Old Testament, King Solomon. And he was going to become king. And he looked at himself and he looked at him becoming king. And his father, David, was king before him. And God comes to Solomon and says to him, Solomon, uh, what, what, what do you need? Whatever you ask for, what's most important to you? If you could ask me for one thing, what is your greatest need? What do you want more than anything else in this world, Solomon? What do you want? What do you need? And Solomon thought about this as he's getting ready to become king. And he says, I don't know what to do with these people. I don't know how to be a king. I'm an adequate leader. I can't do this. And so what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom. Say it with me, wisdom. He says, I need wisdom. I want wisdom. I want to see things from your viewpoint, your perspective. I don't want to look back on my life and have regrets. I need your wisdom. And God was pleased with his request, and he granted his request And our God's a good God. Would you say amen to that? And then on top of that, he says, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you fame. I'm giving you wisdom. And so here's a question. If God came to you and said, what do you need more than anything else in life? What do you want more than anything else in life? Would you ask for wisdom? See, it's important to God. Proverbs says a number of times, if you don't get anything else, get wisdom. God values wisdom. We need wisdom. You know what? You may get rich, but without wisdom, you're probably going to lose it all. How many people win the lottery or the sweepstakes and they're millionaires and not too long, far down the road, they're in debt and they're in poverty. They lost all their wealth, lost all their riches because they didn't have wisdom. They didn't know how to handle what came into their life. Boy, that's a bad decision right there, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm going to say right now, and this is not a commercial. He doesn't know I'm going to say this, but Dave and Diane Deal, that's why they do the financial freedom that we do here. And we want to give you some wisdom. You may say, well, I make a pretty good living, living, and where's all my money going? What's happening there? That's why you need some financial wisdom, how to handle that. You may think, well, I don't think I make enough money. You may be surprised when you get some wisdom applied to what you do have, where that can go and what God can do with that. How many hear what I'm saying today? Amen? Amen. Or anything else in our life. Wisdom. 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 I'm going to tell you, I pray this prayer every day. Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. 
Teresa and I pray this every day, more so in the last few months. I need your wisdom. This has become a habit before every appointment, before every phone conversation. Lord, I need your wisdom. Before every team meeting, I need your wisdom. Before every executive leadership team meeting, our board, I need your wisdom. In those meetings, our team, our staff, Lord, we need your wisdom. In our executive leadership team meetings, our board meetings, we need your wisdom. We ask for wisdom every step of the way. And thank God, he keeps giving wisdom. You see, this isn't my church. It isn't your church. This is God's church. Amen? And my position, I need to hear from the Lord and know what the Lord wants to do in his church. We have to ask God. So how do we ask God? And I got to get quick here. We anticipate and we expect. Ask God, expecting God is going to hear and answer prayer. We ask in faith because God works in the commodity of faith. God responds to your faith. Really, God loves it when we trust him and believe him. Come on. Amen. How many dads do we have here today? How many dads? I tell you, my kids knew they could come and ask. They could come and ask. They're grown, they're married with their own families. They know they can call on the phone and talk to dad and ask. That's what our father loves us to trust him. To respond, he responds to our faith. If you need wisdom, and we do, we ask God in faith. Whatever we need from the Lord, we ask in faith. How many see right here in James chapter 1 that wisdom is God's will? How many see that? Wisdom. I could go on to other topics that we read in the Word of God is God's will. When we ask in faith in God's will, God hears and answers our prayers according to His will. Get into the book. You're going to see a lot of things God wants to do in your life. But staying right here with this wisdom. Anticipate. We expect. That's our part. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Not doubt. Well, if you want wisdom, we have to ask the right person, God, in the right way. With faith. Say it with me. Faith. Faith. Believing. How many's ever prayed a prayer? And l- later probably said to somebody else, well, you know, I, I prayed, and but I just knew that wasn't going to happen. I knew, you know, that wasn't going to come about. And I just felt God wasn't going to answer that prayer. How many be brave enough to say, yeah, I've said things like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Some men of faith right here. See? I'm not, we have. Well, I, what'd you do? You just set yourself up for failure from the beginning. If you don't believe, you're not going to receive. You remember Peter and the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee? And Jesus came walking to them on the water. And Peter recognized it was Jesus. And he got out of the boat and he walked to Jesus on the water. You got to get out of the boat. It doesn't risk anything when 
you are staying in the boat. It doesn't take faith to stay in the boat. But if you want to meet Jesus, you're going to have to get out of the boat. It takes faith to get out of the boat and walk on water. And he walked on water when he got out of the boat. Amen? And what happened? Woo! Wow! Can you imagine the guys in the boat? Uh, I could have done that. I'm sure I could have done that. Yeah, they're still in the boat. And Peter's out there walking on the water. And, he, and I think he's kind of blown away, and he's getting closer to Jesus. And then what does he do? We know it. He looks around. I, I, ooh, I, I, I'm, I am walking on water. You're not supposed to walk on water. What am I doing out here walking on water? And, and he took his eyes off Jesus and he got his eyes on the circumstances. And then he began to sink. We do the very same thing. We take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes on the problem and our circumstances. And we need to turn our eyes back onto Jesus, the problem solver. And we've got our eyes on the problem and the COVID and the mask and the disease and the fear and everything else that could, might, could possibly take place. And I want to encourage you with all the love I have within me and faith within me, take your eyes off the problem and the circumstances. Look to Jesus, hallelujah, the problem solver. The problem, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying it's not out there. But I'm just saying it isn't everything they're telling us it is. I'm really stepping out there today. I'm telling you. You're paralyzed by your problems. Start getting captivated by Jesus Christ who will deliver you out of your problems. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It takes risk in life if you're going to live by faith. It doesn't require faith to stay in the boat. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Amen. See, our God, can you give me five more minutes? See, I don't get to preach two services. I only get one right now. Have we forgotten he's the God of the supernatural? The supernatural is natural for God because God is supernatural. We say, here's the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. He's love. Do you believe he's love? Do you believe our God is holy? Do you believe our God is just? Amen. Do you believe he's perfect in all of his ways? Yes. You can't separate the supernatural from God and God from the supernatural. You can't separate him from love. He is love. You can't separate him from holiness. He is holy. You can't separate him from the supernatural because he is the supernatural. We are the natural. God wants to bring his supernatural to our natural. We're so natural. That's why we call it supernatural. It's just God being God. Amen? And I think God says, church, allow me to be God in your midst once again. Allow me to show up and be myself once again. If we believe, we'll experience God's supernatural. All you see this, 4,000 years before Christ, God was supernatural. Gave his word, and he's supernatural. Jesus comes. That's supernatural right there. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. 
Jesus did the supernatural signs and wonders, attesting that he is the Son of God. Jesus gave his life. He died, was buried, and rose again. He lives now forevermore. That's supernatural. Amen? Come on. Some of you are with me right now. The Apostle Paul and the church, they moved in the supernatural. The last 2,000 years, there's been an element of the supernatural. And I believe God is getting ready to do something in these days if we will believe. will believe he's going to do some supernatural things we're going to see a great harvest of souls and I'm saying this because I believe it coming into the kingdom of God we're going to see marriages and families restored those bound by drugs and alcohol delivered like we've never seen before we're going to see people healed and those not, I'm going to believe for this, in their right mind, set in their right mind. Because our God is supernatural. Supernatural. I'm going to share what I shared, I think, July 5th. As the rest of the team was at Pinsburg getting things ready for our outdoor service I was left alone here. That's unusual for a Thursday. And I was walking and praying through this building here. And as I said a couple weeks ago, you know, I started to get concerned. You know, are we going to have people show up? And there's going to be people to serve. And is this going to be able to take place? And the Lord, I didn't hear an audible voice, but you know when you know when you know. How many have had that you know? He says, he said this to me. If you allow my church, Morningstar Fellowship, to be filled with my presence at 9th and Main and in Pittsburgh, I will fill my church with my presence, and I'll fill my church with people seeking my presence. If you allow me, if you allow me to come in, to come in, but we have to believe, expect God to be God. So. What does God do? He says, ask, believe in faith. That's that unwavering attitude. I'm believing. I'm not going anywhere. God is able to do what he said he can do. The problem you're facing may be big right now. There's some personal stuff right now. But the problem's big. But I want you to know your God is bigger. Your God is bigger. Now, faith is a substance assurance, the title deed of things hoped for. There's no sign on that property that's yours. No, there's not, but I have a title deed right here that says that's my property. What do you mean that's your car? Yes, it is. See, here's the pink slip. This is my car. Oh, it's not stamped on the car. It's not taped to the car. There's not a sign in that piece of property. Divinely guaranteed in the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, you have to see it before you see it. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. What is God asking of us? Believe him. Trust him. Have faith. And you may be saying right now, I don't have that kind of faith. Yes, you do. Tell your neighbor, you do. What do you mean? I don't see it. I don't feel it. Yes, you do. To each one of us is given a measure of faith. You have all the faith that you need right now. God says, just start using that faith that I gave you. 
And watch that faith develop. Watch that faith grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You're going to develop. You're going to grow. You have all the faith you need. Stop waiting. Give me faith. Give me faith. Give me faith. God says use the faith that I've already deposited into your life. Hallelujah. You do. Exercise it. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Here's what I want us to get a hold of. Hebrews 4, 16, let us come boldly. Say with me, boldly. Not arrogance, but I got confidence in my God. He is who he says he is. Amen? He's worthy. To the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, I know him. I'm thanking him. I'm praising him. I'm seeing it before I see it. And the promise is, and this is simple. God says, you ask me in faith, I'm going to give it to you. What do you need right now? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you generously, consistently. I am going to give it to you. I'm not a stingy God. Get ready for the outpouring I'm going to put into your life if you just believe me right now. I still believe 2020 is a year of breakthrough. I, I have no doubt about it. You say, what do you mean? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. It's been a very difficult, challenging year. yes. Yes and yes. There's a lot of this I haven't liked at all. If we would speak in the natural, 2020 uh, kind of stinks. But it's a year of breakthrough. Say it with me, breakthrough. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because you don't have breakthrough unless you need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough. You need a personal breakthrough. Our nation needs a breakthrough. The church in America is the devil's working overtime, man. There's division, division, division. I just got to keep our lane where God wants us to go. But we need a breakthrough. And when you need a breakthrough and you believe for a breakthrough, that's when you get a breakthrough. How many want a breakthrough today? In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's sing this. And the way we fight our battles is we see it before we see it. We praise and we worship the Lord. And he comes in in his presence. And he's more powerful than your problem and our problems. What do you need from the Lord? What do you need from the Lord? Raise up your hand. Lift it up to Jesus. Believe that you're going to receive what you need from the Lord. I'm praying, first of all, for wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Then what do you need from the Lord? We're going to believe today. Then I'm going to pray. Oh, let's believe together.
but I'm surrounded by you. That's right. Thank you, Lord. There are more force than against us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. the Lord a praise right now. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to close in prayer. If you like prayer, if you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior, start that relationship after we close in prayer. We'd love to meet you here, pray with you about whatever need, or pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord went true and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those to show himself strong, show himself mighty to those who are loyal to him. That's you. Those that will trust him. Those that will believe him. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro right now throughout his earth looking for those that trust him, loyal to him, to show himself strong. Lord, today, I thank you. We ask of you, the giver, in faith, and we receive. We receive wisdom today. We receive needs in our life today that you give and you provide. And Lord Jesus, show yourself strong and mighty. According to your word, those that are loyal to you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you. We love you. Praying for you. Have a great Sunday. You need prayer. We'd love to pray with you right now. We'll meet you right here. Amen.